What up? You're listening to the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. We gon' make it all the way. We don't care what they all will say. Don't listen to the hate, no, listen to my radio. Welcome back, everyone, to the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. As we mentioned in the last podcast, and actually the podcast before that, that these first three episodes we're gonna we're going through each of our stories to allow listeners to get to know us a little bit about uh, us, our background, whatever. And today we have my good friend and freshly new partner at the lifestyle practice, Steve Vandegraaff. And he's got a pretty incredible and inspiring story. I think you guys are going to like it. And, you know, I think he is going to be, I know, I don't just think, I know he's going to be a great asset to our team. And Derek, I think you know Steve a little bit even before he joined TLP, right? Steve and I have been friends uh, for, uh, for quite a while. And I met Steve during our first year of dental school. We both kind of had similar situations. We were both married, both had kids. Little did we know. Boring. uh, (laughs) Little did we know we were actually, this is kind of crazy. We were actually both looking at the same townhouse and bidding against each other for for where we were going to move. And, uh, but uh, it all worked out. We actually ended up becoming next door neighbors all through dental school so our, our kids played together and our wives were friends and uh we had we had a ton of fun so i think i think if you talk to anyone that knows steve well then they would tell you that he's he's uh genuinely one of the nicest people that you'll ever meet he's also smart and extremely an extremely hard worker thanks big Derek. yeah enough of my uh thanks and by the way, Derek outbid me, so he actually overpaid for his oh, house. <laughs> I see. I see. I came out of it thinking that I won, but I guess I guess I just I overpaid. Yeah, you guys want me to leave I the studio, the or is it still cool that I'm here? Not, I'm just kind of feeling awkward. Uh, just ha- just hang in there. We'll get. We'll let you chime in in a little bit. But because uh, tonight we're going to focus on on Steve. Okay. Steve, we got some questions for you. We're excited. I think the listeners are going to get ex- be uh, excited to get to know Steve a little bit. So let's let's kind of start at the beginning. I mean, I don't know if there's any anything you wanted to share first, or uh, if you want to just kind of talk about your your path soon after dental school. Sure. Yeah, I think that's a good place to to start. And let me say right up front from the onset that mine is not by any means the only path, you know, as, as they say, there are many roads to Rome, but I'll share that what I have done and some things that have worked for me. And maybe you'll find uh, a few helpful principles in my story. And I also wanted to say that even though we're talking a little bit about, you know, coming out of dental school and first getting a practice that, uh, while that applies to a lot of people, people that have been you know, out of dental school or have been owners for a long time. I still think a large majority of the stuff we talk about is very, very applicable. But anyways, I I decided that I wanted, kind of like you, Derek, wanted it to be an owner just from day one, right out of right out of dental school. And for a couple reasons. First, 
I kind of love the idea of deciding for myself what type of dentistry I wanted to do. The idea of being able to build my own my own gig was exciting, you know, having my own patients. I remember as probably lots of people do that how stifled dental school felt, you know, not being allowed to operate according to what I felt I was capable of. So I I just thought running my own show um, sooner rather than later would would be really appealing and exciting. I specifically remember at the beginning of, I think, senior year or, or sometime around there, we had a dental finance guy. His name is Charles Loretto. He came to came and gave us one of the lunch and learns where you would usually just go for like food and then kind of zone out. But he talked about ownership and he uh, he he just kind of opened up his his, you know, his little lecture by saying, basically, I guarantee everyone that you will make a thousand dollars more per day as an owner rather than an associate. And, you know, as a dental school student, I, that kind of perked everyone's interest. And, and then he kind of went on to explain why. And I, I like to share these reasons with dentists that are uh, looking to acquire practice or, or are maybe tired of their associate position. And basically uh, the reasons given were, First of all, obviously, you keep a larger percentage of, of your production. Also, you keep, you know, all of hygiene profits, which, you know, as an associate, you don't get any of that. Third is you you start building equity in a practice. So you're building up an asset. And then the fourth is you get to play what he called the tax game, which, which is um, there's a lot of benefits to being a business owner as far as um, taxes and, and keeping more of what you make. So all that made sense and was really exciting to me. I've since learned that uh, he was wrong about the $1,000 more per day. It's actually a, a lot, lot more. So I knew I wanted to get on the ownership track as soon as possible, mostly for the income potential. I knew it would be tough and I knew I probably wasn't ready for it, but I don't know if there really is a, a time when someone feels ready to, to make that leap. There's not really a time, I think, where you feel completely ready. And I, I found that to be the case, whether you're fresh out of school or you're two years out, five years out, even 10 years out. You never feel yeah. completely ready. Everyone feels the same. Everyone's nervous. Everyone's stressed. Everyone's wondering, is it going to work? Are my staff patients going to love me or hate me? Blah, blah, blah. So you're never ready. So might as well just take the take the leap of faith and jump in. So. Steve, how did you choose the practice you purchased? And let's keep going from that. What did you pay? What kind of numbers was it doing? Just tell us about the whole thing, because I think it's good for people to know about your practice in particular. Okay, yeah. So I kind of cast a wide net while I was looking for a practice in dental school multiple states like all across the country and and my criteria as a dental student you know things have kind of evolved since then but in my mind at that time I wanted to purchase a practice that was producing what I thought as a new grad I could reproduce and I wanted to get it for the lowest cost possible which I I would give different different criteria now but at the time that's what I was thinking so I I found a practice that was doing about 500k maybe a little less actually it was heavily insurance based and located in what could be considered you know a lower income patient demographic 
the building was small and old, you know, and the practice had been on the market for quite a while. Nobody really had interest in it. So I researched it. It kind of caught my eye. I, I, I studied the area and, and kind of thought that, that this could be a diamond in the rough. So I, uh, negotiated a little bit on the purchase price. We bought the practice for 225, 225K and then some working capital. And I kind of just pulled the trigger, just jumped right in, closed on the day. I got my dental license and uh, kind of went right at it. I love how you made the comment, nobody had interest in it. It's just like, I'm sure it had been looked over, passed over. People are like, I don't want to practice there. Uh, it's that kind of practice or whatever. And then you've turned it into this beautiful butterfly we're going to hear more about yes it's a butterfly now for sure (laughs) so one thing that's kind of interesting is that steve and i were both looking at practices at the same time and there were actually a few nights where steve would steve would come over i'd get the laptop out and we we would both put our screens take turns putting our screen on the tv and showing financials and like reviewing through everything you remember that steve that was pretty fun yeah we're all like cranking out epidez for all the different options that was a lot of fun (laughs) and i would say as loserish as that kind of sounds it's like (laughs) but that's going the extra mile like that's a big part of you know, most people aren't doing that in dental school, at least when I was going to school before there was electricity. Like none of us, or no one that I knew of did that. I sure as heck didn't do that. But how it paid off and it's just going the extra mile beyond what most people are willing to do, put in the time when other people are out partying or whatever, and you're setting yourselves up. I love it. It was interesting because, you know, we're both looking at several different types of practices and we both were kind of in a similar situation in that we're students at the time and most brokers are like, yeah, you're a student. We, you know, you, you got to get a license. We don't know if you're going to get funding. You know, there's all these obstacles. And so really both Steve and I had to kind of look more at some of those practices that were less appealing to a, a lot of dogs. Yeah. So Steve, tell, tell us a little bit more, you know, so you basically said, that you you purchase this practice, it would be considered a uh, you know a less affluent area, and what how did the transition go? Kind of what did it look like? Yeah, <laughs> let's just say it was uh, the transition period was kind of a time of personal growth. If anyone here is is doing a transition, just kind of maybe just hear my story, and you might it might give you some comfort. So <laughs> the first day after closing on the practice, I went in, well, first of all, I should say the, the, the seller, he was kind of trying to run two locations. And so he was really scared that if the staff found out I was going to be taking over at one location, they would leave him from the other. And so he didn't want to, he didn't want to uh, really introduce the staff to me until we had closed. And so anyways, the first day after we closed, I showed up that morning 745 and the selling doctor kind of introduced me to the staff. I had visited the practice two months prior acting as if I was going to be maybe an associate. And I found that the staff was a hundred percent different than they were two months earlier. So there had been complete turnover just in the last 60 days. So, you know, that's awesome. Anyways, he introduced me like at 745 Patients got seated at eight. He just kind of stayed in the back of the office and uh, for a couple hours, then left out the back door. And uh, 
that was it. That's crazy. Did he say goodbye? <laughs> no. So, you know, people talk about a six month to year transition before the handoff. It was just literally, all right, everyone, this is uh, Dr. Vandegraaff. And uh, that was it. He's gone. <laughs> so I had to learn everything by trial and error. And and there was a lot of trial and a lot of error. I mean, I just trusted that my front desk staff kind of knew what they were doing with insurance and claims and collections. Turns out they had no clue. You know, they were like just as new as I was. It was just a really <laughs> pretty stressful time. Kind of like many people's stories. I remember Derek, we talked about this. The first few weeks, like very sleepless nights. I was like, couldn't eat anything. I just kind of lived on adrenaline all the time. I remember after closing the first couple of weeks, and I don't know if this has ever happened for other people, but I had this intense like buyer's remorse, like this huge regret, like, what have I done? Was this the right decision? My wife had that. Really? After getting married? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she probably still from time to time. No, but um, it was just a huge, you know, wow, I'm, I'm, I can't back out of this. So... And uh, at times, you know, things got a little bit dark, to be honest, like things seemed like they were closing in, but, you know, failure isn't really an option at that point. So I just kind of took it a day at a time and just kind of was determined to, to kind of make it work. And, and from where we started, there wasn't really much to go down. So, so things bit by bit kind of uh, grew pretty well. I personally think long transition periods are overrated, just kind of. Yeah. And aside, I think everyone, we all kind of feel like we, we want them or we need them like that security blanket going into it. But I would say over nine out of 10 docs that I work with, you know, you know, you think you want them to stay around and then usually by a week or two into it, you're like, okay, I wish I wouldn't have contracted them to stay so long. Cause I really don't need them anymore. I mean, I would have liked to have more established staff and got to know them and had a, a better plan for the transition. But as far as the the immediate uh, you know departure of the selling dog, I actually really, really liked it. And I think it's a great way to go, to be honest. So you don't have patients kind of wanting to see the old doctor or like second guessing your, you know, diagnosis or treatment plan. So I totally agree. I think selling docs are kind of like band-aids and you just want to get yep. them get them removed yep. fast and i think it's good to have a good relationship with them and be like hey you know are you going to be around for the next six months if i have a question if this pops up do you mind if i call you email you text you like that's the kind of transition i want but you know both times that i bought my practices you know i think it was in the contract that they were going to stay around for a few weeks and after like a day and a half i'm like peace bros so, yeah <laughs> going on to your story what were the most, what would you say, I'm curious to hear, were the most difficult things to overcome? Because you had several things kind of going against you in the beginning. And I know from when you and I worked together that even at that point, you were still a little bit unsure of, should I keep this practice or should I just build it up a little bit, sell it, move back to where we really want to be long term? So kind of hear about that progression from that time. Yeah, I remember that too. And then, you know, after bad days, I still wonder that. <laughs> but sure, no, <laughs> I, I think it's just really easy. Maybe it's just me. But in general, I think it's easy to second guess your decisions or to compare yourself to someone else that seemingly has really green grass on the other side. You know, I'm always thinking of kind of what's the next step or, or what could be better than my current setup. But, and I, I usually compare myself to others, which can be good if you're 
trying to improve or, or find motivation, but it should be done in a healthy way, I think. And, you know, at times I thought, you know, if I could have gone anywhere, I maybe should, I should have done like a fee for service setup. But, but, you know, that's not an option everywhere and it isn't necessary to have some real success I've found. So I just kind of fully committed and said, this is it. We're going to make it work. You know, as far as the difficult things we had to overcome, of course, there was that first uh, factor of just being like a brand new dentist that everyone goes through. <laughs> I remember like the first day, you know, he left and I, I was treating patients. I'm taking like blood pressure on everybody, you know, and I'm like, oh, you got this high blood pressure. Let's get you, uh, you know, get you a med consult and <laughs> Or going from a crown prep in four hours to having, you know, four patients in a chair at the same time. So that was a big transition, how to how to manage that, how to treatment plan. You learn quick, though. Yep. Yep. And everyone goes through it. But I think if you if you have to go through that stage, you might as well might as well get through it fast. Baptism by fire type thing, but especially the non-clinical things. So, you know, case presentation, how do you manage patient expectations? How do you lead a team? Those are the, those are the big things that you really need to, to learn and, and, and kind of overcome. So the first few months into it, I discovered that, you know, my front desk was actually stealing from me. (laughs) So I, I fired, fired her and, I finally built up the guts to fire another staff member who was really just kind of toxic. And then when I fired those two, the other two actually decided to leave too. So a few months into it, I had to start 100% over with new staff, even though the staff that I came in with was brand new. So it was it was a really tough time. But then I started hiring people that kind of fit my culture and my commitment to the practice. I mean, it was a tough time for sure. How long into your ownership was that turnover? I think five months is when is when it kind of all went down. Like that's intense. I know, you know, from my own memories and talking to clients, like everyone's a little bit on edge, especially in the beginning. You know, one of the key people are going to leave or really anybody's going to leave for the most part and have your whole freaking team turn over. Yeah, at once. So, <laughs> and... You know, I, I've heard from, I think, Sandy Purdue. She said she's never seen a transition where at least one staff member, like where the staff was the same a year later as, as it was when you transitioned. I think Derek might be the exception to that. Perfect leader, Derek. But I was the exception, too. Oh, yeah. man. To both I think of you we too. I'm like the opposite. <laughs> I'm the opposite of the exception. Yeah, I wish we would have known that before you joined, but oh, well. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. It's a little too late now. Oh, well. Um. But I mean, it was it was a good lesson. Like I learned that it's definitely not ideal, but you can survive it. And as if you're treating patients great and you're going to bring in new great people, the patients will stick with you. It's definitely not ideal, but it's it can be done. So um, it was a stressful time, but I learned a lot. I learned how to you know fire people, how to look for a new employee, how to hire. Looking back at that time, it's kind of it's kind of like the tree analogy, you know, where. You can look at the rings inside the center of a tree and and kind of see which years had the most growth. You know, this that first year or two, first year and a half, really kind of forced me to grow. And kind of like what I've been saying, if if those are lessons that you all that we all have to learn, why not have them at the beginning of your career so you're capitalizing on you know income potential and growth rather than later on down the road because we all kind of need to learn lessons at some point. And that's again, this whole idea of front loading the process. I mean, that's, I mean, that's exactly what you're saying, Steve. I mean, it's like, 
if we're going to be in there and we're going to do this, let's let's put in the time and the effort in the beginning so that we can reap, reap the rewards for, you know, the whole rest of our career. So I think that's, I yeah. think that's a smart way to go. One thing I always say, um, especially around our launch periods, like looking back, I think you know, when I was deciding to hire a coach right out of school in my first practice, you know, it was way too much money at the time. I mean, like, I don't know, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000. And I didn't have the money. I was scared to death. But I was, as much as I was scared about that, I was scared of if I waited and then hired a coach or someone to help me increase my performance five, 10 years down the road, or maybe even longer. And it really worked. Like the regret I would feel at that point that I had wasted all that time. That's what really scared the crap out of me. Yeah. Opportunity lost. It, it's uh, it can be an expensive mistake. You can't go back and, and get it. So, so Steve, share a little bit more. I think this is always an interesting topic. Uh, this whole hiring, firing, all of this kind of stuff. So you, so it's month five and you have to start over completely with a brand new team. Can you, I don't know, maybe share a couple like little details, personal experiences of, you know, uh, hiring someone great or, you know, that toxic person you were talking about having to fire them. And I'm definitely not perfect at this, but I've, I've, uh, learned a couple pearls that have been helpful for me. So first of all, fire, like firing first, the old, you know, saying fire fast, hire slow. If someone is on your team is just kind of, you know, pulling people down or they're just kind of a negative Nancy, or certainly if they cause, you know, any drama or if they're rude to other staff, just let them go, pull them aside when they do something wrong and correct them, you know, in the, in the proper manner, you know, training, maybe do it again. But after that, I mean, if they're not changing find a reason to fire them and and just do it you know be concise when you speak with them be clear be very courteous cuz it's really important to be as amicable as possible i mean the you know dental community is really really small and you know staff will go to this office or to that office so you want to do it in in the white right you know professional compassionate way but don't delay you know my first firing i knew I, I knew from the first week that I should have I should have let my biller or insurance coordinator go, but I just hesitated and I delayed. I came up with all sorts of excuses, you know, oh, it'll be so hard to find someone to replace her because I'm a new dentist. You know, I thought she's a single mom. She really needs this job. So I'm, I'm really helping her out, which is true. But, you know, those are just justifications, really. And then she stole money from me and it, and it made it really easy. So I fired her right away. But looking back, I had those first five months, I had really lost a lot of money, not from the little theft, but just from her incompetence and having someone that's not performing on the team. So, you know, letting letting somebody go that is underperforming, it will immediately rid you of all those problems, but it, it will kind of embolden you in the eyes of the other staff as well. They really need they need you to be a leader, if that kind of makes sense. They need they need that, I think, as as employees. So and then as far as hiring, I advise Dennis to hire for attitude more than experience. Your goal during the interview process should be determine if this person is committed. Can they gel with your team? And are they willing to learn, you know, rather than 
blame someone else for, you know, some problem. I also like to hire people that need and want to work, you know, not necessarily someone that's coming from another office that, you know, wants maybe a, a, a little bit more here, or can I get a little more there? I like to hire people that need work that are excited to, you know, be in the dental field. So I like to hire for attitude more than experience for sure. I think we all agree there. And I agree with you that you said someone that wants to work because I mean, usually that's, that's one of my top criteria for sure. I want someone who's hungry, who I want the person who would want more hours if I would offer them. If, if I need someone to come in early or stay late, I want the person's like, I'll do it. Those are the best. Someone that someone you you know you put down a bonus or or offer them you know an incentives for reviews and they just go after it like that's the person that you want for sure. So despite a few of the challenges you had like complete team turnover in uh, first five months, you just like our friend Derek managed to pay off four hundred thousand dollars in student loans in your first year out of school. And like Derek, we talked about it on the last podcast, have also received some uh, hate mail and death threats because people hate to hear that. But I want to hear the story. How'd you do that? Yeah. So, I mean, we've kind of focused on, you know, some of the hard things about the first period. But through it all, we were, you know, we're still pumping out a lot of dentistry. We're still growing. We're still getting lots of new patients. And so we were, we're still doing really well. And yet I, I was fortunate enough to pay off student loans, all of them. And let me tell you, it felt great. I mean, some of our listeners are maybe there. Some of them are looking at a big pile of loans, but there is an incredible feeling of paying off your student loans. I remember looking at my like loan pile or mountain, you know, during dental school. And I, I would go on the website and I would calculate how much interest I was accruing every day. And it would just <laughs> made me sick. Um, if like, don't do that. <laughs> if anyone out there is doing that, it's not really helpful, but I remember in the spring after I graduated, I was, I remember where I was, at, I, I was at, I was sitting in the car and I had just received a letter from, you know, SoFi, like student loan refinancing company. And, and they had just rejected me for, for, uh, my student loan refinance. They said, I'm not financially sound enough to, to refinance my loans. So I was like, whatever. Showed them, Steve. Showed them. Yeah. It's like, come on. I'm like, why can't I refinance my loans? It's so funny. But so I just kind of logged into that same portal that made me sick all that time. And I just kind of paid them all off and it felt awesome. And I bought out Sophie. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, and investments and, and passive income streams, I don't, I don't think they can be beat. But I think debt reduction is it, you can't go wrong either. It's it's very motivating to pay down debt. It it gets the weight off your back. It's very measurable. So I think it's a great goal too. I, I think it's a good way to go is just eliminate debt for sure. So I'm picturing you sitting in your car, reading that letter, and then you're like just so mad and you're like, whatever, I'm just going to pay it all off. Did you like, how did you do that? Did you do that on your phone? Was it all in one payment? Like what? Uh, give me more details. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, I just like, I, I was so frustrated. I was like, why can't I refinance? Like, it was so funny. But yeah, I was like, I'll kind of show you. And I just went to that same portal and just paid it all out. I mean, it had it just, it was That's done with crazy. it. It was great. Yeah, I felt 
Yeah, I, I, I felt the same way. And I remember talking to you about it at that time. And there's, uh, you know, there's other investments and and different, different things, you know, and you look strictly at the numbers. There's probably a smarter way to do it. But when you've got, when you're trying to build your net worth and you're looking at everything. And I I think really for me, and I may, I maybe said this last time was just that there's, there was no asset behind it. Unlike real estate or, you know, a lot of other investments, your practice, your business, all of those kind of things. You should have paid it off with pennies. Like, oh, here's my rejected uh, credit application. And I think I'm just going to go ahead and pay it all off. Thanks. That'd be like a truckload. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's, I think it's like, it's just, there's just an incredible cost of being a modern dentist with the amount of student loans we have to go through. So I, I think that day, you know, for us, it was, it, it came really quickly, fortunately. And, and our goal is to help people get there sooner, but at some point, that's going to be a really special day for any dentist. And it doesn't have to be, you know, later on in your life. You don't have to be old and gray or, or have the hope the government will pay, forgive it. And when you're like 80 or something like uh, you, you can take care of it, you can manage it. It's, and it's motivating to do so. So talk to us a little bit. So one thing that's, that was interesting, I remember in the beginning, you and I were talking quite a bit, sharing numbers and kind of going back and forth and stuff. And I remember at one point, which is really, I mean, tells about Steve. Like Steve really does not, is not the type of person to ever boast or let let on to his success that he's experiencing and stuff like that. And, you know, I was, I was feeling like pretty good. And it was like maybe that first, it was maybe like a year, year and a half in or something like that. But I remember we were talking and we shared some numbers and I, I like, for, I thought I was big and bad and stuff. And then I realized that Steve, which, well, I'll ask you a little bit later, but Steve had like this incredible management of overhead and was making more money than I was in this like kind of like podunk practice. And it just really it blew me away at that point. Um, Steve's overhead actually pays him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Oh, to be fair, Derek, like, I mean, you're... I think you're working, uh, you know, a day or half less than me. So, I mean, give yourself credit here, oh, right? Thanks, Steve. But some things, some things that have helped our practice. You know, we're we're pretty bread and butter. You know, I probably do more extractions and more pedo than most offices. I'm able to do endo implants and and wisdom teeth, but most of our production just comes from you know routine stuff. So, something that separates our office from others is. We just kind of have a culture that we're going to get patients, we're going to get them in, we're going to treat them great, and we're just going to do as much dentistry as possible in every appointment. Clutch. Clutch, yeah. Well, I mean, I, you just kind of have have that mentality and your and your staff is going to, they'll, they'll pick up on it and, and they'll support you in it. You know, when I, I, when I speak with dentists, I kind of review those principles with them and, and try to help them in, in court incorporate them to the degree that's possible in their office. If, if another dentist came into my office to, to see what it was like, they would probably be surprised to hear, you know, my front desk say, yeah, come on, can you come in right now? We, we, we kind of have that mentality to, to get patients in. You know, I read a, a study that the number one question for new patient phone calls is how soon can I make an appointment? the second most asked question is, do you accept my insurance? So we try to remove both barriers for them. We have them come in hopefully the same day or the next day, and then we'll, you know, work with their insurance appropriately. 
You know, another thing we do at our office that maybe other dental offices don't um, as much is we we treat patients that maybe most other dental offices don't like. You know, it's it's kind of common to hear on some of the social forums dentists saying, you know, buy Felicia to this patient. You know, I don't want that patient in my office. But and there are certainly those those crazy or rude patients that you don't want to keep. You know, I I just had one today that we managed to transfer to another office. But as a rule, you're going to be welcome at our practice and you're going to be treated great, even if you're different or you're poor or your mouth's a mess. And treating this group of kind of patients, if you do it right, I mean, it can have the same production as more affluent or cosmetic or other types of, of, of uh, patients. And it can really, at least for me, it's been our experience, you can really build a lot of goodwill that will have them sending their friends and, and you'll just really establish a pretty strong new patient flow. So that's that's been big for us. Interesting, Stephen. <laughs> Very, very, yeah. So I'm getting a little fired up about it because I don't know when I, when we're at the office we we're in go mode and so this is kind of how we operate and I I, I get kind of uh, fired up thinking about it a little bit. Your practice has continued to grow since you've taken ownership. Roughly a million take home this year, right? Yeah, yeah. That's a million with an M. Bottom line, I'm sure people are wondering is just straight up how if you know. Are you producing three million? Is that why? Are you working seven days a week? Like just how? We're working seven days a week. We're open twenty four seven. No, no. Some dads really do that, but we don't. And and in saying this, I don't want to sound pretentious or we've been really fortunate to to have the success we've had. But we're we're just open, you know, Monday through most of Thursday, pretty standard. We have our nice weekends. Very rarely or probably never like come in for emergencies staff members take calls on the week weekend so so i never worry about it you know we're, we're this year we're going to do between 1.5 and 1.6 so you know decent production for most dentists but you know not necessarily huge by by many standards but we're we we're still really profitable and that's because our our costs are largely the same as they were when the practice was doing half or, or less of what it is. So our overheads kind of just plummeted, you know, it's down probably about, it's around 30%. And in thinking about that, you know, overhead is, it's really just two numbers. It's your collections over your break-even point. So you keep your break-even point low and lean, and then you produce as much as possible. And, and the difference between the two numbers is, is really all gravy, you know? So, our break-even point is probably about 35, maybe 40 after debt servicing. And then whether you do 75 that month or you do 150 like we did this month, the break-even point, it doesn't, it doesn't change. You know, dentistry is mostly fixed costs. So and that's kind of um, how we've done it. And we, we've just, to reach that number after the first year and, and seeing the success that was possible, it just kind of lift, lifted up my belief lid. And it kind of became a goal, and we just kind of believed we could do it. You know, one 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 person that I I really I think is pretty awesome, and he has a great story. His name is Reinald Messner. Basically, he's he's a mountaineer. He deserves a Google if you haven't ever heard of him. But he was the first guy that that climbed Everest without oxygen. And back in the you know '60s and '70s, they would like to to climb these high mountains in the Himalayas. They would basically have like a small army of people, like this huge operation to get these climbers. To- One second, did you know he was the first without oxygen, but actually 
Paul Goodman, I think, was actually the second. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, it's a weird fact there. Shout out to you, Paul. But anyways, he, and he he was kind of uh, he just took a different approach, and he 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 said, "I'm gonna I'm just gonna climb this without." you know, without all this extra stuff that everyone's doing. Scientists, he like talked with like a, like some doctors and a scientist and they said he would die, but he just went up on the mountain, you know, and everyone has their teams and armies or whatever. And he just like got a tent and like a sleeping bag. And he just like went up the back of Everest all by himself and came back down four days later. And he just kind of did it. And he, to, to explain it, he just basically said he had this belief in his mind that it was possible you know, despite what everyone else said, he decided that he could do it. And so he kind of went out and do it. And that's a little bit of kind of what it's kind of been like for me, you know, we've had to break down this belief or, or, you know, vision into tangible goals. You know, what do we have to do each month or each day to reach this? What does your schedule like look like, you know, to reach it? How are we doing with new patient interaction? So you break it down into smaller things, but that kind of that just belief that, you know, maybe we can do something that lots of people don't think is possible kind of has, has driven for us. So it's been helpful. It's been good that way. Let's, uh, let's, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's, uh, what, what's one thing that you would say in your practice? I mean, maybe even recently that you've been working on to, to improve yourself or Im- improve your practice or your leadership or, or anything as you kind of continue along this path. Well, we can make a, a big list about <laughs> things that we need to change. But one thing I'm working on right now is is learning to delegate better. And I've come a long way in this area, but uh, I kind of like to attack a problem and make sure it's done correctly. So it's easy for me to kind of get dragged into tasks that aren't necessarily the most important, you know, tasks that other people can do. And when you're running a busy, high production practice, it's kind of a delegate or die. And I think a lot of dentists understand this, or if they're you know, just totally overrun. They don't understand it, but they need to. And so you, you've just got to be good at this because there's always a million things left to do, you know, at the practice. So, you know, I'm trying to be less of a DIY, do-it-yourself guy. I, in working with a dentist, I actually, I fell into this trap. I was going through some of the reports and numbers on his practice management software. And I was excited to find some inefficiencies or some, you know, money left on the table that that he could kind of scoop up. But then I realized I, I wasn't really helping him in that moment. I, and it would be best to teach him how to review the information and, and data and learn how to find and correct problems rather than me kind of going in and, and solving the problem. So learning to delegate, um, learning to do less is something that I'm, I'm, I'm definitely working on right now. You guys are like pros at that, but that's something that I'm trying definitely. to improve for sure. I haven't done anything for like three months. My wife's <laughs> really busy though. Um, so <laughs> expert delegation one thing uh, that i think is was important for you guys both of you actually is that jumped out at me i don't even know if i've even talked to you guys about it before but neither one of you i felt like and still even till today you're not judging yourself against your peers you know like it's not a trying to keep up with the Joneses. Like there are no Joneses or if there are Joneses, they are people who in theory would be, have been further ahead. I think you guys are gaining on a lot in a short amount of time, but like, I don't know if that really makes sense, but like 
you were looking around like in dental school, like, oh, I hope I get a good associate position, you know, like so-and-so in class, or I hope my practice, I hope I can make 200,000, like the top earner in the grade before me, uh, or something the first year, you know, like you've, you just have kind of put yourself on different, and I'm not just like ego stroking here. I'm, I want this to be a lesson to people who are listening. Like your, your standard is not what others your age are doing. You know, you, it would be easy to be like, Hey, I've already got to practice my first year out or my first day out. Look at me. I'm hot stuff. But it's like, no, I'm, that's just like turning the car on. Now we're going to really rev the engine. So, you know, I, I just think that is a good lesson for people to take away from both of you. Like, look at who you're measuring yourself against. Look at who your measuring sticks are in your life. And if they're not high enough, you need to change them. And you need to pick someone else to help you, guide you, mentor, or just to, you know, like people always say cliche, like, you know, your only uh, challenge or only person you're in competition with is yourself yesterday, stuff like that. But like, it's not really true. So hopefully that made a little bit of sense. If not, we probably just won't edit it out anyway. So no, I, I, I agree. I think, I think it's important to have pacemakers, you know, you're, when you're, you know, I used to run track and I, you would just basically, you'd just like find a really fast person and stare at the back of their head and just let them pull you, if that makes sense. And, um, you can't, I mean, it's all relative. I, I know lots of dentists that are just kind of floundering and, and you can feel great next to them or you can, and I try to do this. I, I know people that are just like crushing it and, it, and you just, you just, you pick your, you know, your goal or your, your pace setter and kind of let them pull you along. All right. Just a few more, I think, here, Steve, then we'll let you go. Real quick, what mistakes are most dentists zero to five years out making? What advice would you give them if they want to do similar things that you've done? I would say kind of what we were just talking about. I, I think lots of people, they, they just have mental kind of roadblocks in their head that say, no, I can't do this, or no, it's not the right time. I can't buy a practice with it's too much debt or they kind of set up these barriers and you know, it's, it's very natural except maybe for some very fortunate people. It's natural to feel anxiety about big decisions. It's natural to feel discouragement about yourself or a hard situation. I don't want to you know dismiss that because it's a big thing, but it's important to understand that we kind of have an incredible, like a lot of opportunity in our profession to I mean, really have an incredible income, a great, a great kind of life balance if the right path is followed. So I mean, it's not def, it's not easy, and it won't happen immediately, but it can be done. And I think dentists just kind of need to to open their their mind to the that possibility. Agreed. So, what are your kind of plans moving forward? Like, what are you what are you doing with money? I mean, you talked about paying off debt, but obviously, if that was in your first year, you've had a decent amount of income since then that you've had to figure out what to do with it. What have you, what have you done since then? And what are you doing to set yourself up for the future? Uh, the first year we wanted to get rid of student loans and we did that. And it's kind of fun. Each year we're kind of doing a new thing that the next year we did real estate. So we, we, uh, purchased, um, a group of just single family, uh, rentals. And this year we're doing some like hard money lending and, just basically we're building more passive income streams. And this is where having a successful practice gets really fun because, you know, now you start building income without 
working. And so, you know, that's, it's pretty awesome. Awesome feeling to, to, to think that now, you know, interest is working for you than rather than against you. I like to break it down, you know, to get to that point, you know, Dennis, we need to first, you know, invest in yourself, go to dental school or improve yourself clinically, develop the, the business skills you need to, then you need to find and, and acquire the right practice. Then you need to turn that practice into a cash cow and make that kind of your moneymaker and then take the proceeds from that practice and then start building passive income streams. So it's kind of a little progression. And that's, I'd like to talk about that later. Maybe we could do a podcast about that kind of those steps and patterns, but that's kind of what I'm doing now. And it's fun to be at the, at the end of that stage, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that'll be a topic we talk a lot about. I know it's been a big, had a big impact on each of our wealth creation strategies, stories, what have you. So I think definitely be a lot of room. I know a lot of people um, are interested in similar things. So I think it's the last one here, Steve. Why have you decided to coach and work with other dentists? Because it would be easy to say, hey, I'm making bank purchase a rolly and roll up on out of here. I wouldn't get a rolly, that's, by the way. That true. goes against my overhead principles. But although if that's your thing, I'd support you in it. If, if that's a motivator for you, go for it. But I've, you know, over the last two years, uh, since I've kind of maybe shared a little bit of my story and learned from others and, and tried to share some things that have been helpful, I've had a lot of dentists that have just kind of reached out and they've asked questions or kind of sought some advice about the situation. And I've really... I've really just enjoyed kind of connecting with them. It's kind of been fun for me to evaluate, you know, a problem they have or a choice between some options or routes and, and help people kind of come to solutions. So as kind of we talked about before, this path and all this stuff, it can be learned. It's the path, not the person. So I've been fortunate to learn it. It's really kind of changed my life and, and blessed my family. So it's really rewarding to kind of help people along the same road. Thanks for sharing everything, Steve. I think I think that's about where we're going to wrap up. Yeah, let's wrap it. It really is pretty cool listening to everything because, you know, I've heard a lot of the things that we're talking about tonight. I've heard a lot of it, but to kind of hear, hear it all together and to kind of hear some new perspectives on everything is, it really is a pretty incredible journey and it's it's really cool to see where you're at now and everything so uh i for one just want to say thanks for uh for sharing everything today yeah thank you and i think it's it's inspiring you know i think both your guys' stories are very inspiring especially if i was a young dentist to hear some of the things that are possible and not even that you guys are like you know i'm guessing there's probably even younger young dentists that have done even better but i think you guys have incredibly inspiring stories early on, and I think it should give a lot of hope to other docs. Is everyone going to do it? Nope. But is it possible for everyone? Yep. So thanks for sharing, Steve. Um, we're glad you're here. And, you know, that's it. So we're glad you're here. So anyway, listeners, we made it through the interview episodes Yay. You're probably like, hopefully you loved them, but we're ready. I know us three are ready to move on, not talk about ourselves. Next week, we will start diving into some different topics. So we have some of our own that we know we're going to touch on over time. A lot of them that we're going to touch on over time, but we would also love to hear from listeners, from you guys. What questions do you have? 
know, even about these stories, are you left with holes that you were like, how does, what does a million dollars look like, Steve? What does it smell like? Stuff like that. Or any other topics, you know, in dentistry, growing a practice, growing wealth outside of dentistry, like be specific, push us. And if it's too hard, we probably just want to answer it. No. So we would have really appreciated any feedback, questions you guys have, so we can cater to listeners. And always feel free to email us at Justin, Derek, or Steve at thelifestylepractice.com. Until next week, peace. Listen to be great.